Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today I want to talk to you about breaking mindsets. Mindsets. How many of y'all know life is not about you? Amen. Amen. How many of you know individually life is not about you? Now, this is a tough lesson that we have to learn. Uh, We know this, but I think we need to be reminded of it on a regular basis. Why? Well, because we come out of the womb hardwired to prefer who? Ourselves, don't we? We come out of the womb hardwired to prefer ourselves. And um, think about young children. What, what, What is their first word in most cases? Before that one, what's their first word? Typically, mama. Isn't that true? For most kids, it's mama. I remember years ago, I took, I took Hudson to uh, Cart Ranch. You know, if you ever feel a disconnect with your kids, get them in the car, take them to Cart Ranch, spend some money on them. Well, I, I got, I got I, Hudson in particular, I took him to Cart Ranch, and he rode the rides, and I got him high on high fructose corn syrup. It's terrible, but, but, but I did, yeah. Got him all the different snacks, and you know, we rode the rides, and he had, he had the time of his life. And uh, you know, when, it was come, when it was time for us to leave, loaded him in the, in the car, got him up, situated, buckled in. And uh, we were driving down Ambassador, and I'll never forget, I looked in the rearview mirror, and there was Hudson, and he had a big, a big high fructose corn syrup ring around his mouth. And he was all nasty and sweaty from everything that he had been doing. And, and I looked at him and I said, hey, Hudson, who loves you the most? After all that I just spent on you, by virtue of that big ring around your mouth and the sweat coming out of your hair, who loves you the most? And he looked at me in the mirror and he said, Mama. And I said, son, you get out, you walk home. I know you're six, but you're walking home. So if you saw Hudson walking down Ambassador at six, that's what, no, I'm just teasing. I didn't do that. But, but yeah, yeah, mama, mama is normally the first word, normally. Okay, what comes after? Dada, papa, okay, we're down the list. But then after that, in almost every case, the next word is what? You said it earlier. Mine, mine. Mine, mine. They see something like, well, that's mine, even though it's not, it's not theirs. It's mine. And, and that, that's the way they think, okay? They think that the world revolves around them. And how many of y'all know some adults feel the same way? That the world revolves around them. We think that at times about ourselves. And so we spend, we spend time teaching our kids that life is not all about them. But how many of y'all know, even as adults, we need to be reminded that every good thing that God has given us is not really just for us. It's for whom? It's for other people. Did you know that every good thing God has given you, it's not just for you. Yes, it's for you. But it's not just for you. It's for, are y'all with me? This isn't hard. It's, it's for others. So check it out. Your natural and your spiritual gifts are given to you. But listen carefully. They're not about you. You guys know that today we can take a gift and turn the gift into a God in the form of a person or a gift. But your gifts are given to you, but your gifts, listen, are not 
about you. Every good thing God has given to you is for the sake of others. And I hear this language often in church. We say things like, well, it's my church and it's my blessing and it's my salvation. And all of that is 100% true. Absolutely. But all of these things God has given to us are meant to be designed to be shared with others. And listen, if we ever get into a place in a church where it becomes just about us and we lose sight and we lose focus on the people that God wants to reach, listen to me, that's the day we, 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 we cease functioning as a church and we turn into a social club. Are you with me? Thank God you're saved. Thank God you're born again. Thank God you're blessed. Thank God. But how many of y'all know you're blessed to be a blessing to other people? And this is what we see in the book of Acts. I mean, I want you to imagine this with me for just a minute. What do you think the book of Acts will look like if the apostles and the early church had never shared their faith with other people? Think about this for just a second. Think about if the early believers got theirs, if they got saved individually, if they got saved, got the blessing. But think about what the book of Acts would look like, for example, if the early believers went up into the upper room and got theirs but never left the upper room. I'll tell you what the book of Acts would look like. It would only be two chapters long. Think about if the early Jews had only shared their faith with other Jews. Think about that. What would the book of Acts look like? It would be very, very, very short. But in the book of Acts, we see that Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. In all Judea, Samaria, and where? To the end of the earth, meaning you guys got to get out of here because this isn't just about you. It's not just about Jews locally. This is about all people universally. And so in order to fulfill my my call for your life, you got to get out of your comfort zone and you got to go. Are y'all with me? And so what we see in the book of Acts, what we've seen to this point, what we're going to see going forward is that in order for this to happen, God had to break Some mindsets, some minds that were set on self. He had to break that in the early church. And listen to me carefully. He wants to break that in the contemporary church. Because at times we get so focused on ourselves, we lose sight of the fact that there are thousands upon thousands in this community who still need Jesus. Are y'all with me? And let me help everyone. If they don't hear Jesus, if they don't respond to Jesus, they're eternally lost. So I feel a great responsibility as a pastor, as your pastor, to keep this in front of you as we seek to fulfill God's mission in this hour. How many of y'all are excited about getting on mission for God, not just coming to church, but taking church to people? Come on, y'all. That's why we're here. Three of you. Praise God. Listen, y'all. That's why we're here to change this city for Jesus. Pastor Scott, why are you here? I'm here to change the world for Jesus, one city at a time. But as we're going to see today in Acts chapter 10, watch this. God gave two men each a vision in order to break some mindsets that certain people had in the early church. Listen to what Luke tells us. Let's dive into this in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Here's what the Bible says. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Follow this carefully. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Verse 3. 
About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now let me explain a little bit of the context, and I'm going to bring some application to your, yes, your life. First of all, we're told here that this man named Cornelius was a centurion. Now a centurion was a captain over 100 soldiers. This man was a soldier himself, but he was a captain. He was in the military, and he was part of what's called the Italian cohort, which was a group of 600 soldiers. So for starters, Cornelius was a military man. But next we see, watch this, that Cornelius was devout and he feared God. Now let me teach y'all for just a little while here. Cornelius was devout. Everybody say devout. He was devout, and we're told that he feared God. Now, as as a man who feared God, it's important to note, he was not a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile. Y'all know what a Gentile is? Y'all are Gentiles, okay? We're Gentiles, non-Jews. Cornelius was a Gentile, watch this, who believed in the Jewish God, but he did not buy in to the practice of circumcision, He did not see the necessity of it, okay? So he feared God, he loved God, he loved the Jewish God in particular, but he was not Jewish in practice. Are y'all tracking? So far, so good. But Cornelius, we were told, was also very generous with his money. He gave alms, and he prayed continually to God. Now behold, a man who understands that God, God not only gets resources to him, but those resources are given to him so that God can get them through him. It's not about just God getting resources to you. The question is, can he get resources through you? Because if he can get them through you, then you, you go from just being, being blessed to actually being a blessing. Are y'all with me? This man realized that life was not about him. He realized that in addition to being a military man, this man had money, he had means, and he wasn't going to waste his, his money on himself. He gave it away and did so generously. So he was generous. Everybody say generous. But this man was also a man of prayer. He prayed continually, which means that throughout the day, he's praying to God in his mind. He's praying to God. He's, he's uh, conversing with God in his heart, his spirit, even when he's talking to other people and doing things with other people. There's still some kind of communion going on. When, when you hear the Bible say pray without ceasing, y'all know that does not mean that you get up in the morning and you say, uh, dear Lord, and then you talk verbally to God all day long. Y'all know that, right? That's not possible. What it means is you stay in an attitude of prayer all day long. You stay in an, an attitude of dependence all day long. So wherever you go, whatever you do, before you go into the meeting, 
Even though maybe you have the skill, you have the ability to do what God's asked you to do, nonetheless, because you rely on Him, you stop, you pause, and you pray and say, God, I'm nothing without you. I'm going in, but God, I want to go in with your blessing. I want to go in with your purpose. I want to go in with your power. And how many of y'all know when you pray that way, God will answer, come down, and, and do exactly what you ask Him to do. And so it's not just... Every now and then, it's not all the time like, like we think of a lot of times. It's an attitude. It's an attitude, a posture of prayer. You pray without ceasing. Well, that's the type of dude this was. I mean, he was generous. He prayed continually. And watch this. This angel appears to him and addresses him by name. And the angel says that, listen, Cornelius, because of your generosity, because of your continual prayers... All of that has has arisen to God, and it's a memorial before God. Let me break this down and and explain what that means. In the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices, burnt offerings, and incense. And the smoke would do what? Rise to God symbolically. And if the sacrifice was offered in the proper way, the smoke, the aroma of the sacrifice smelled good to God. Are you all with me? That was the Old Testament sacrificial context. Now watch this. Cornelius is not a Jew. He didn't go to the temple to offer animals. Watch this. This is so good. He was the sacrifice. He didn't offer animals as a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. Paul says it this way. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. In other words, it's not just about what you give, it's about who you are. How many of y'all know as believers, we are called every day to get out of our beds and get on the altar and say, Lord, I'm laying my life down. You pick it up and you use me for whatever purpose you want. That's who this man was. It's not just that he gave sacrificially. Yes, he did that. It's because his life was a sacrifice. And watch this. That rose to God. His generosity, his sacrificial life rose to God and got God's attention. Cornelius' life smelled good to God. Let me ask you a question. Does your life smell good to God? Does your life stink of yourself? Or does your life convey the aroma of sacrifice? Is your life about you? Is your life about others? How many of y'all know when we give ourselves, when we give our money, we give our time and our resources, that's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Are y'all tracking with me today? Sweet-smelling aroma. That, that's who this man was. So the angel appears to him and said, basically, Cornelius, you've gotten God's attention. You've got his attention. Now here's what I want you to do, Cornelius, the angel said. I want you to send men, three. Send for Peter and go get Peter and bring him back. That's the basic, of, that's the essence of the message. So watch this. Track with me. So we see that Cornelius, check this out. This is so good. He obeyed God And sent the men. He sent them. Now watch. A Gentile, a Gentile, non-Jew, said yes to God right there on the spot. Think about that for just a second. Now, you would expect that from the Jews, wouldn't you? Y'all got to talk to me. You would expect that from the Jews. But a Gentile, the angel appears. I mean, come on. He immediately says yes. Immediately, he sends these men to go fetch Peter. Now, what's the contrast? Teaching you all the Bible. Check this out. This Gentile obeys, but as we're about to see, 
30 miles down the road, while God gets a yes from a Gentile, 30 miles down the road, he gets a no from a Jew. Watch this. I'm building here, y'all. Watch this. Acts 10, 9-16. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. How many of y'all have ever been in prayer and you thought about what was in the fridge? Uh No condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And and it says this, while they were preparing the meal, Peter fell into a trance. (laughs) Don't you love Peter? Like the dude can't, you know, he's like all over the place. Um, He's asleep, okay? The food's being prepared. And while he was asleep, he, he fell into this trance. And look at what it says, verse 11. And saw the heavens opened. Now that's my kind of trance, huh? We're getting caught up in the third heaven. And something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Verse 12. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, what a vision, huh? Verse 14, but Peter said, if you have your Bible, circle these words, by no means, Lord. Now, I'm going to come back and preach that in just a second. Peter basically said no to God. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Don't you know, God, I'm a Jew. And God's like, I didn't know that, Peter. Thank you for telling me. (laughs) By no means, Lord. For I've never eaten anything like that. Verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time and said this, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened how many times? Three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. (laughs) Y'all see what's going on? Think about this. Peter's passed out in a trance, sees heaven open. The sheet comes down, and the sheet is filled with all kinds of animals and reptiles. Y'all get in the picture? God says, get up, kill, and eat. What does Peter say? He said, no, Lord, I've never done such a thing. Now, now think about this for just a second. The most astonishing thing about this is that he says no To the Lord. How many of y'all know no, N-O, and Lord never go together in the same sentence in this type of context? What's the best answer? When God tells you to do something, what's the appropriate response in every situation? Yes, Lord, whatever you say that I will do. Listen, if we can get to that point in our thinking, to not just be Christians who are covered by grace in the way we think about that, but Christians whose heart posture is because we're covered in grace, because our sins are forgiven, because we are united with Christ, Lord, now whatever you say, you've done this for me, so Lord, whatever you ask me to do, the answer is yes. Think if God can find a church filled with people who show up every morning, get up out of bed, put the feet on the ground and stand up and say, Lord, whatever you say to do that, Lord, I will do. Think about how this city will change for the glory of God if you get up every day and say yes to God. Think about that for a minute. No, Lord. (laughs) Don't you know? I mean, like, God, I... I'm a Jew. I can't do that. And it says that this happened three times. You know, with Peter, there's this repetition of three. How many times did he deny Jesus? 
Now here, three times it happened. And here's the picture. It happened three times because God God was trying to get his attention because Peter was being stubborn. How many of y'all know I say it all the time? It's not a question of whether God is speaking. It's a question of whether we're listening and willing to obey. Three times. For some of you, God's been saying over and over and over again. And and you're like, "No, no, Lord, I could never do that. Listen, God not only gives the call, he equips the call. Whatever God's asking you to do, He's going to give you the resources and the ability to do it. So just show up and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me. Use me in my discipleship group. Use me at UL. Use me in the workplace. Use me wherever I go. Let me be your hands and your feet in the world. Are y'all with me today? Are y'all feeling this? So, so, so this happened three times. Watch. God was trying to do something new through this vision. But Peter was stuck in the old in the old way of doing things. Oftentimes, God's trying to get our attention and say, hey, I want to do something new. And you're like, no, Lord, I mean, I, I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I need to just keep doing what I've been doing. And God's like, but that's not working anymore. I'm doing a new thing, so get on board with me. I'm doing a new thing. That's what's going on in this passage. I'm doing a new thing. But here's the question. Why did Peter hesitate? Why did Peter at least initially say no? Well, think about this for a second. Come on, Cajuns. Raise your hand if you hunt. It, I mean, maybe I... Put your hand up if you hunt anything. Fish? I thought it would be more than that. Okay. Well, imagine this with me. Cajuns, in general, hunters in particular. You fall into a deep sleep. A gumbo's being made. Now I got you. That's all I got to say. Forget Jesus. I don't... His name and... I say gumbo, y'all go crazy. How about Jesus and gumbo? How about that? Yeah. Now y'all are, okay, we're going to have a spiritual renewal now. <laughs> Gumbo's being made. You fall asleep in the trance. Just bear with me. God lowers deer, hogs, pigs, alligators, reptiles. Come on, John Bernard, fish of every kind. And he said, get up, kill, and eat. How many of y'all know he doesn't have to ask a Cajun twice? <laughs> you know, what would you say in your trance? Yes, Lord. I mean, that's an easy one, isn't it? Shh, let's get up, let's kill, let's eat. Someone said that if Adam and Eve were Cajuns, they would have ignored the apple and eaten the serpent. <laughs> True story, huh? <laughs> True story. Yeah, but I mean, like, you don't have to ask me twice, God. Yes, get, I'm going to get up, I'm going to kill, and I'm going to eat. Then, when the meal's prepared downstairs, I'm going to eat that too. Isn't that how we think? Yeah, it is. But as we think about the story for, for, for Peter as a Jew, you don't, you don't eat bacon. Isn't that awful? Oh, I can't even imagine such a lifestyle. I mean, let, let, that, let that sit right there for just a minute. Talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. If someone were to tell me I could never eat bacon. But let's check it out. As a Jew, Jews had to avoid certain types of foods. Now, let me teach this slowly because I really want you to get this. This is a big teaching moment for you to understand the book of Leviticus. One day I'm going to preach a whole series through this book. But for now, let me just give you a little foretaste. Frank's excited. You might be the only one. (laughs) Praise God. Check this out. Are you all with me? Watch this. So Peter hesitated. No, Lord, because, well, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11. I can't believe I'm, I'm doing this. Let me do it. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Check it out. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Verse 4, Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these things. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean. Here it is, verse 7. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean. Verse 8, you shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Now, what is the big deal about not eating these sorts of animals? Some say it was because of health reasons, because God wanted his, come on, Tiffany, wanted his people to be healthy and to be fit. Okay, there's, there's truth in that. But check this out. If you're taking notes, write this down. The command to avoid eating certain kinds of animals symbolized the need, watch this, for making distinctions between the people of God and the nations who did not worship the one true God. The purpose was to make distinctions. So watch this. Sometimes people today say, Pastor Scott, can I get a tattoo? And I'm like, sure, why not? And they're like, well, what about the book of Leviticus? And I'm like, well, okay. I'm not telling you to get one or not. That's not my job to say either way. But if you want to know biblically, in the book of Leviticus, there is a prohibition against marking your body. And people read that and they're like, well, oh gosh, that's on my conscience. Now I can't go to the tattoo parlor and get a tattoo. Now listen, this is a matter of conscience, but let me just teach you the Bible. In the book of Leviticus, there's this heavy emphasis from God on the people saying, you're my people. And if you're going to be my people, you need to be holy and separated. If the nations are this way, you need to be this way. If the nations eat this, you need to eat that. If the nations, watch, mark their bodies and put tattoos on their arms and their bodies and mark their bodies for the purpose of worshiping false gods, then you must not do that. Are y'all with me? So it's avoid doing what the nasty nations do. The nations eat that stuff. The nations use those things in pagan idolatry. And because they do those things, you're to be different. You're to be different. So eat this, not that. Eat this, this meal, not that meal. Get this marking, not that marking. It, it, it goes all the way down from the beard all the way through the body. He gives all these regulations of the way the people of God were to look and to behave. And so next, the command also foreshadowed, watch, the distinction between right and wrong moral purity and impurity. Let me help y'all. It's never ever been about food. It's never ever really been about a tattoo or a skin marking. From the beginning, really all the way to the present, Jesus makes it clear that it's always been about the heart. It's always been about the heart. But for a time, God gave them these distinctions, these prohibitions as a means to get the categories in their head. That some things are clean, some things are really unclean. How many of y'all know some things are really right and some things are really wrong? And today those are blurred. We have all kinds of gray that stretches out. No, for God, some things are really right, some things are really, really wrong. So he's training his people. He's training his people to think, if you're going to be my people, you got to be distinct. 
The Bible says you're a peculiar people. You're a holy people. You're a holy nation. Called out of darkness. Called into the light. How many of y'all know we're called to live like we're in the light, not in the darkness? We're called to live as the righteousness of God. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. And so God's saying you must live like it. You've been bought with the price. So get up on the altar every day. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Get up. And even if your life isn't going so well, put a smile on your face. Lift your hands to the God who saves. Lift your hands to the God who delivers. Because you are a holy, distinct people. That's the principle. That's just one section from Leviticus 11. Boy, I'm going to tear that book up with y'all one day. It foreshadowed the distinction between right and wrong. Moral purity and impurity, but this was just for a season. Dietary laws. Because I'm teaching y'all the Bible. Y'all okay with that? Because that's what I'm going to do every Sunday. The dietary laws were in effect for a time. But they weren't binding for all time. But Peter was stuck in the old way. It happens to us, too. Listen to what Jesus said about 1,400 years later. Let's let Jesus interpret this. Mark 7, 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Look, look, look carefully. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when, when he had entered the house and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. Verse 18, he said to them, he said, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his what? His stomach. And then his what? Expel. Look look parenthetically. Thus he declared all foods clean And there was spiritual renewal at Midtown. Come on, Cajuns. Praise God. Back to your gumbo. Thus he declared all foods clean. Verse uh, verse 20. And he said this. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. It's not what comes in. It's what goes out. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts. Here's what comes out of you and me. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. You know that song in the saying, I am who God says I am? We'll read that also in light of this. That's who you are apart from him. What comes out of you by nature is not good. Come on, y'all. We're all naughty by nature. It comes out of you naturally, out of kids. You don't have to train your children to be selfish or prideful, do you? Not that you would, but you don't pull them aside and give them a little tutorial on how to be self-centered. They are experts. They have a PhD from Adam and Eve, from the womb. They're wired that way. Thanks, Adam and Eve. I am who he says I am. This is who we are apart from Jesus. So watch this. He declared all foods clean in the book of Acts. 
Barriers are now being broken down. In essence, God is saying, Jesus is saying, it's not about the stomach. It never really has been. It's all about the heart. And if we get this right, then we understand that if it's all about the heart, if we're all born this way, people say to me, Pastor Scott, I can't help it. I was born this way. And you know what I say to them? That's right. And that's why Jesus says you must be born again. Are you with me? Did you hear that? I was born this way. Probably. And that's why you must be born again. And if you're stuck in the first birth, you will perish. Because the first birth produces flesh. And flesh gives birth to what? Flesh and eventually death. But when you're born again by the Spirit of God, you confess your sins to Christ. You repent of your sin. Come on, y'all. He forgives your sin. He cleanses you. He makes you into a clean new creation. Boy, I'm working hard. Are you with me? Yes, I was born with sinful tendencies. Not just the proclivity to sin, but the necessity to sin. That's what the Bible teaches. And until we get that right, the good news of the gospel isn't really good news. It's just an add-on to our lives. Because if we think we're really not that bad, Jesus just becomes a cherry on the top and like, okay. Jesus makes makes us into, forms us into brand new creations. Isn't that good news? Oh, and you can stuff it. You can say, I'm not that bad. My heart's not that bad. I know not everyone is as bad as you possibly can be. But the evil in us leaks out all the time. Sometimes as Christians, we we just do a better job of containing the mess. We talk about them, unbelievers. We're going we're to share the God. How many of y'all know we're not called to judge the world? We're called to love the world and preach the gospel to the world. But before you get too excited, remember this. Judgment begins with the house of God. Which means we are to lovingly judge one another. Not, not with harsh intent, but to hold one another accountable. So that we can be, not the perfect but the set-apart, holy people of God in the world. And we're busy saying to the world, as we should, repent. And much of the world is looking back to us going, y'all first. Are you with me? Repent. And they're like, when the church does that, and I'm not saying that justifies them before God, it begins here. The point of the vision is that Jews may fellowship with Gentiles because of Jesus. In Jesus, no one is clean or unclean based on dietary laws or ethnicity. Now, that might not mean anything to you here, but it should. Because we, we judge people at times other faces, other races, other ethnic groups. And the tendency is, you know, when there's something big on the news, there's some great injustice, preachers come in hard and preach against racism then, and we should. But there's nothing on the news right now that I'm aware of. Let me, let me help everybody. Racism and prejudice is demonic. Did y'all hear what I said? It's demonic. And it doesn't matter how it's expressed. There's prejudice, but then there's... Subsets of that, there's racism, 
There are all kinds of isms attached to that. It's the assumption that one group is better than another group based on X. But when you understand the gospel, you realize that we all start out broken, sinful. We're, we're all down here. We all start there. And the only way we get here is through Jesus and Him alone. And by the way, Jesus was not an American. He was a Jew. So while there's nothing right now on the news, let me say for all the prejudicial demons out there, we bind you in Jesus' name and we come together as the people of God as the showcase of His glory and grace in this community. And what God calls clean, let no man call unclean. So there you go. So we're almost done. I'm teaching you all a lot today. Are you getting it? So let's bring some application. Uh, Some of you today, you feel very dirty because of something you've done. In your recent past, maybe in your distant past. And maybe you don't think about it all the time, but it comes up. And it's not even the devil. The devil's like, you're doing good on your own. You're bringing it up yourself. We're binding the devil. It's just us. And the devil's like this. Yeah, keep doing that. Keep accusing yourself. And I meet people who at times are very, very sensitive, oversensitive to to their past. And I would much rather someone be oversensitive to sin than undersensitive. In my experience, it seems like more people are less sensitive to sin. It doesn't bother them that much. And I love it when I find someone who's like, ah, this is, they've got this angst in their soul, this visceral disruption in their mind and in their heart. They they can't move on because they're they're so stuck on things they've done. The pornography they looked at, the abortion that they had, all the things they've done. And they come to me and Pastor Scott, I can't get past my past. And at first I'm like, I'm so glad that you're sensitive. That you realize the damage you've done and that you feel awful about it. I'm so thankful. But listen to me carefully. If you repent of your sins, you go to Jesus, you confess them, you make things right as best you can, and you live by faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, it actually dishonors God for you to continue to go to a place into a thing that He's already forgiven. Does that make sense? Don't go there. He doesn't go there. Why would you? Get up, kill and eat. No, Lord. Get up. And sin no more. No, Lord, I mean, this is who I am. No, no, no. Get up and sin no more. Leave this life. Don't ever come back to it. Get up and go. A lot of us are, no, no. You know, Lord, this is me. No, no. Get up and go. Some of you today, you need to get up from your past and move forward in Jesus' name. And what God calls clean, let no man call unclean. No man. You say, is that person really forgiven? Do you know what they've done? What God calls clean. Who God calls clean, let no man call unclean. Are you free of your past? Are you free from the emotional, spiritual effects? Sometimes it takes a while. But one of the godliest things you can do, one of the healthiest things you can do, is get up, wash your face, confess his promise, and go and walk forward in faith. Faith in the perfect shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're righteous. Isn't that almost too good to, I mean, it's like too good to be true. Me? 
Jesus, you said from my heart flows all these things. Yeah. He calls you righteous. And he not only declares you righteous. Come on, y'all. He makes you righteous. You can live a different life. Because he who the Son sets free can be, will be. You are free indeed. Yeah. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels good. Feels good. So, as we wrap up here, Peter is perplexed. Trying to figure out what the vision is all about, what it means. And while he was doing so, you remember the first vision? Well, men from Cornelius' house approached the gate. Peter is up on the rooftop praying, got the sheet vision. Here come the men from Cornelius' house. They're at the gate. The Spirit tells Peter, go down, let him in. So Peter goes down and he, he, he asked them the question, why are y'all here? And here, here's what they said. Cornelius sent us to hear what you have to say, Peter. So we're told Peter invited them into the house where he was staying. They stayed the night and then made their way to Caesarea the next day back to Cornelius' house. Now, as they arrived at Cornelius' house, Cornelius had gathered individuals. Peter brought people with him. Cornelius had in his small group people there waiting. Watch this. Watch this carefully. Peter comes in to Cornelius' house, and it says this in Acts 10, 25-29. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Bad idea, Peter, or uh, Cornelius. Verse 26. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man! And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, he finally got it. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Here's the but. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Oh, he's, he's starting to get it. He's getting it. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Cornelius basically responds, and I'm summarizing. This chapter is enormous. But essentially, Cornelius said, I was praying. I had a vision from God. And God told me through the angel to send for you, to get you here. And so now that you're here, Peter, what do you have to say to us? Well, I want you to imagine this with me. Cornelius' house is filled with Jews, <laughs> Gentiles, all kinds of different people. Watch. People who were naturally segregated. People who were naturally separated because of these visions have, not, have now been brought together and they're all together under one roof. Are you getting the picture? Question, what do you say to a captive audience of Jews and Gentiles? Acts 10, 34 and 35. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. 
but in every nation. Anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And then, you can read the rest of the chapter. He preached Jesus. What do you say to Jews? And what do you say to Gentiles who all start from the same place? Who are all born ethically and morally and spiritually unclean. What do you say if you got a moment like that? I think some preachers would get up and give three points to a better life and three points to overcome this and three points to overcome that. Peter just preached Jesus. And I say just singularly focused on Jesus, the one who came from heaven to the earth to break down the wall of separation, to die for Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, black and white, every category that could be named. Come on, y'all. He brings us together. You, You want help? Preach Jesus. You want help? Cry out to Jesus. You want to change marriage? Cry out to Jesus. You want racial reconciliation? Cry out to Jesus. If you want to be an example in the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, live like Jesus. Speak like Jesus. Live like Him. Live with wide open arms everywhere you go. Check it out. He's almost done here. Peter opened his mouth. I see that God shows no partiality, but accepts people from all over, from everywhere, from everywhere. And while he was speaking, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, the Gentiles start doing what? Speaking in tongues. Come on, Pentecostals. I got a couple of y'all in here. So they started speaking in tongues. They got to skip those language courses. And supernaturally, God gave them the ability to speak in other languages. You remember what happened in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit came, filled the Jews. Now, in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit is coming down, filling the Gentiles. They're speaking in tongues, which was the sign that Gentiles, like Jews, can be added to the body of Christ. And then they were baptized, and all of heaven said, Amen. Jesus' redemptive purposes are now being accomplished right before our very eyes. Because our God got Jews and Gentiles under one roof serving the same God. How many of y'all know only He can do that? Come on, y'all, we're under one roof today. You come from different backgrounds. You have different tastes. Some of y'all like this, some of y'all like that. But come on, y'all, look how different we are here today. We got white people and black people and rich people and all the kinds of people, but we're all here today under one roof serving one God, the one God who saved us and who set us free. Come on, y'all, only God can do that. Only He can do that. Come on, one holy nation called by God, sealed with the blood of Jesus. We are His people thanks to what happened here in Acts chapter 10. Because God broke this mindset. And He had to do it so the gospel could go out to all the earth. And when we get this mindset, we'll be just like them.